So Money Episode 523, Barbara Reich, professional organizer and founder of Resourceful Consultants. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. Happy January 18th. Happy birthday to my brother, turning 26 today. He's an old man. Not really. I'm an old woman. That's what that means. <laughs> I'm 11 years older than Todd. And so there you go. If you ever wonder what my age was, you can do the math. Today's show is dedicated to all those type A's out there, all those anal retentive people like me. How organized are you? I mean, I could spend hours at the container store. I love creating a place and a space for everything. My mind maybe you relate to this. My mind works best when the space I'm in is calm and organized. In college, I couldn't actually start writing a paper or doing homework until my desk was clean. And even my roommate side of the room was clean. Like I would make her bed. Sometimes it kept me up late, but I guess it's just who I am. So as we head into the new year, I know a lot of us have this goal to make our lives more streamlined, more functional. To that end, I've invited Barbara Reich, the queen of clean. And she is the founder of a firm that specializes in the organization of people, their lives, and physical space. Her company is called Resourceful Consultants. And whether you're a powerful executive or a busy parent, her advice can help us find more harmony in our spaces, our homes, our offices, even our phones. Yeah, my iPhone could use some decluttering and probably yours too. And along the way, her tips can help us improve time management and save money. A little bit more about Barbara. In 2014, she co-founded Never Caught Up, which focuses on work-life integration, women empowerment, and wellness. She's also the author of Secrets of an Organized Mom. She's got twins. With Barbara, we talk about how to organize your finances. What can you keep? What can you shred? Whether being organized is in our DNA. She's got some very strong opinions about that. And the financial benefits of having an organized home, office, or even an iPhone, how that can actually parlay into a so money life. Here is Barbara Reich. Barbara Reich, welcome to So Money. I can't wait to talk all things organization. Great to have you. Thanks. I'm so happy to be with you today. I'm a pretty organized person, I'd like to think. Do you think that people are just born into the world with it, the DNA for wanting to be organized and having an, an affinity for organization. And some are just com complete messes. <laughs> I have to say, I actually do believe that. And when I'm hiring new associates, I basically have them follow me for the day and I see what they do. And they might not fold how I fold, but I can tell that they're inherently neat and able to organize other people based on how they fold. So it is something inherent. And yes, folding is a great place to kind of judge people on. Um, there's so much clutter in our lives. Obviously, our homes are filled to the rooftops, but also our phones and our digital 
handheld devices are also cluttered with apps and emails. And so we're going to talk a lot about how to streamline all those areas of our lives where we feel where there's overwhelm. But first, I want to talk a little bit about your background. How do you become an expert on organization? You know, we're really interested in organization right now as a culture, as a global culture. How did you find your footing? So it's interesting because when I was graduating from college or when I was a child, professional organizing wasn't a thing that you sort of knew about as a possible profession. But um, as we were saying, like, are people born with the DNA or not? I was born with the DNA. I mean, I didn't like to have friends sleep over my house as a child because they would move things. And in my early 20s, when I worked as a management consultant, my associates would come in the office and they would sort of move my stapler from, you know, a perfect straight line to add an angle. And without even realizing it, I would move it back. I mean, I'm just sort of, I'm wired that way. But what had happened was I had, um, I'd had my twins and I would go on play dates. And while the other mothers were talking about sleep and food, you know, I tend to be sort of black and white. I was like, read the book on sleep and do what they say and your kids will sleep. And so I would organize the living room or I'd organize the playroom while we were sitting there. And if you're the person that does that, you become very popular in terms of being invited lots of places. Right. It's true. It's like that episode of Friends because Monica is like the neat freak. And she was like hiding in a bathroom one time and Chandler comes in and he's like, okay, you can come out now. But wait a minute. Did you clean the bathroom? <laughs> She's right. Like, I mean, I, I will go to a restaurant <laughs> and if the toilet paper is not faced the proper way, I will redo it. I mean, you just can't help yourself if you're born like this. I I, I tend to think that um, how if you walk into someone's home and it's a mess or you open up a closet and it's a mess, I wonder if that usually is a hint as to how they manage their finances as well. Do you find that um, a lack of organization in one area usually means a lack of organization in a lot of areas when it comes to individuals? Absolutely. It, you know, it's all related. And what does and it even stem I find, from? Yeah, I, you know, I even find people who, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, dealing with a lot of research now on how being organized can help you lose weight. And so, when your kitchen is disorganized, it impacts all areas of your life. When your home is disorganized, it impacts all areas of your life. And there's some people that are better than others that sort of pull it off at the last minute, but it's at a great cost in terms of personal stress and chaos. Right. And time and energy. I, I totally get that. It's why people like you are so gainfully employed. And um, even though I enjoy organization and I enjoy, you know, finding a place for everything, I need the time to do it. So I've I've hired uh, professional help in, in my life. And as we're doing this podcast, I've got a team working in my son's room, uh, fixing up his room, um, totally redoing it as he's transitioning from his nursery to his toddler room and he's, his nursery is going to have to go to his sister. Sorry, Evan. Uh, right. It, <laughs> it's right. a circle of we life. We lost a home office when we Right, had right. So but I, I'm all about, you know, Max, and, and especially in New York, and I know you live in New York. I mean, every corner of my house is has a purpose. You know, there's no space that goes unused. I love um you know, compartmentalizing things and alpha shelves and container store and all that good stuff. It's a huge industry, right? Do you think we've become a sucker to it though a little bit? Like all these storage uh, facilities, it's a billion dollar industry, things that we're just not letting go of. 
Well, you know, I would answer that a few ways. So first of all, Marie Kondo would say, don't go to the container store and don't go to Bed Bath & Beyond and don't buy any containers and use what you have on hand. And I disagree with that. I feel like if you want the inside of your cabinets and your drawers to look as, as nice as the rest of your house, you need to invest a little bit. It doesn't have to be expensive. But when you walk into a clothing store, for example, you will not notice the hangers. The hangers are invisible. Why? Because they're all the same. And I believe in the same way that all of your containers and bins should be the same. It doesn't matter if you get them at the dollar store or whether you buy something more expensive, but there is a place for that. And the other thing you touched upon was these storage facilities, which there there are times and places when having a storage facility makes sense. So for example, if you're if you have one child and you're planning on having another child in three or four years and you don't need the changing table or the glider, yeah, maybe you might want to put that in storage. But people oftentimes use those storage facilities for things that they don't want to make a decision about. And what ends up happening is they will pay for that storage facility for years until finally they go back and realize there's not a single thing in there that they want and they throw it all away and realize they've spent a lot of money for nothing. True, truly. I mean, we've done the math ourselves. We have a small storage room in our apartment downstairs and I got rid of it because, well, we had two and I got rid of one because my feeling was like, you go in there once a year, you look at the stuff and perhaps it's stuff that you anticipate needing down the road in the future. I don't know when, but I think we emotionally hang on to things because we envision the life that we will have in two years or the needs that we'll have in six months. But my feeling is, is that if in the meantime, I've spent say $75 a month keeping that storage room available to myself and all I really use is like a $30 Mm, fill in the blank in the next you right. know, two years, you can do the math. It's easier for, it's better for me to just give up the storage facility, donate whatever's in there, and then buy what I need on an as needed basis or rent what I need on an as needed basis. Right. Because there is, you can do very clearly in black and white, the cost benefit analysis of keeping something versus paying to store it. But the thing that people don't realize is there's also a psychic cost to keeping it. There's a psychological element of like in the back of your head, you have the storage unit. It's one more thing. You have to think about it. You have to pay for it. And so it's, it's that also that makes it often not as much of a win as people think it will be. Right. It's the headspace. And I also uh, have learned that when you have more stuff than you need, it creates the illusion that you need more room. So you buy the bigger house, you get the bigger car, you get the bigger storage plan for whatever your phone, the you know physical storage. So it's it becomes this kind of vicious cycle. Right. And, and the more things you have, the more time you have to spend taking care of those things. So to your point, it does become a vicious cycle, which is why I advocate streamlining. So let's talk about that. We've talked about the problem. Now let's get to some solutions. If you have a lot of clutter, let's talk first about physical clutter. Then we'll talk about digital clutter. Physical clutter, you know, uh, knickknacks, toys, heirlooms, financial documents even. I feel like people really hold on to certain things because they think they may need it in an emergency down the road, which sometimes is true. But a lot of times we keep statements for bills that really we could just get online, we can go green and solve that problem. So tell us about your philosophy. Is there like a three-step strategy to figuring out what stays and what goes? Well, absolutely. So, you know, the first thing is that when you're purging, there's probably 
10 things you can throw away so easily without thinking about it that have no emotional repercussions. Like if you went into your bathroom, there are tons of toiletries and cosmetics and medications that are past their expiration date. So those can go without a thought. There's those financial statements, to your point, that are more than seven years old that can be shredded. There are all the, the, the socks without mates, which, you know, those mates are never showing up. Those can go in the garbage. So I'm always hopeful are- they'll show up, though. Gosh, I have a whole box of single socks. Okay, so you have to promise <laughs> me that when you go home tonight, you're going to throw those away. Okay. And I'm going to give you a tip, um, particularly for your children. If you buy them all the same sock, then that never happens ever again. You don't have to match yeah. socks anymore. So. That's one way of dealing with it. But anyway, you look at your things and you, you know, one of the things you mentioned was heirlooms. People get very stuck on heirlooms. I actually did a segment on the Today Show about this, but other people's memories aren't your responsibilities. And what ends up happening oftentimes is there's, let's say, a bowl from your great, great aunt and it's gotten passed down and everybody's giving this a level of import that it doesn't deserve because your aunt bought it at a flea market and never liked it herself. So you have to be very careful about the things you're saving um, and whether you're doing it because you like it or because there's a certain level of guilt that is part of that. Oh, can Um, I just interject for one second? Because I think like maybe other people can relate to this, but you know, after getting married, having a child, I get a ton, we've gotten a lot of cards over the years and birthdays and holidays. It's like, when do I throw those out? Some of these cards are beautiful. They are obviously from momentous occasions, our wedding. I have a box of cards from our wedding from from people who gave us gifts. And so do I just pick the three that I love? Them? Like who, at what so point do I burn So here's those? what I would suggest with that. <laughs> um, you know, because I'll, I'll work with people and they have similar, like the box of their wedding reply cards, but the people didn't write anything. They just wrote, we will attend. <laughs> like, Stay. And I don't know, I don't chicken. know why people are holding off that, but when you look at cards, Look at whether the person wrote their own sentiment or whether they just signed the hallmark sentiment. If somebody took the time to write something meaningful to you and it's somebody who is meaningful in your life, then you save it. Otherwise, they go in the garbage. So, you know, you have two young children, the grandparents, the aunts and uncles, you know, they send a card. You might display them for three days and then garbage. Okay, Unless so you feel they- guilty about that. Don't feel guilty. I will accept all the bad karma associated with you throwing that okay. away. So that you can throw it away. My mother-in-law might judge me, though, if she comes over to my house and my card's not on display for like the month that she sent it to me. But uh, <laughs> mm. that's another show. Yeah, you know, mother-in-laws are a tricky animal. And I, I realize that I will, you know, hopefully be a mother-in-law one day. But <laughs> but a month is excessive. And I was um, – I, somebody wrote in to me recently about how for like 15 years, her mother-in-law has gotten her gifts every year that she hates. And, you know, she displays them, which just continues the cycle of her mother buying her mother-in-law buying her more things she hates. So, um, you know, you really just have to get rid of that. All right. What about financial documents? You mentioned, uh, you know, after seven years, and that would probably relate to your tax returns, but even three years, I think is safe to, to, purge your tax returns. And of course, you're shredding everything. And the reason for the three-year mark is because the IRS technically doesn't do um, audits after three years. That window closes. But that said, the IRS also will throw in a caveat and say, if you if it turns out they audit you and you lied about your income and it was a big, big lie, then they can and will request your paperwork for, I think, six years, going back six years. So if you are, if you know you're a 
fraud. <laughs> Keep right. your paperwork and save it for, for six longer. Years. But if you're innocent, you're okay. Right. So that's taxes. But what about you know utility statements and tax bills and things like that? That I mean, a lot of this stuff is available online. But is it ever smart to have the hard copy as well? So to my mind, the answer is no. And this is an answer that's changed over time because it used to be that you couldn't get those things electronically. So it also relates to having a digital file system that enables you to find things when you need them. So all of that stuff, if you trust your system and you trust that you'll be able to find them, are not necessary to have in hard copies. I also, you know, I with everything that people are, you know, asking me about whether they should save or not save, um, I always ask them that question. I'm like, well, where else does this information exist and how could you get it if you needed it? And a lot of the information would be very easy to get if you didn't save a hard copy or even a digital copy. Right. And that, but that, of course, entails having an organized system for passwords and, you know, making 100%. sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I, I really like, I use a system called 1Password where literally you remember 1Password and it, um, and that, that's a place where you can store all of that information and, you know, especially with cybersecurity being foremost on many people's minds, um, you don't want to use the same password for everything. So, you know, that's a way to keep track of your passwords. And there's many other ones. Um, I don't recommend having your passwords written on a piece of paper because you risk losing that or somebody finding that. But you, you do need a system for, for that so that you can protect your information. I shamefully will admit that years ago, I used to keep a file on my computer called Passwords. <laughs> oh, I did too. Don't worry about it. I'm in the same boat. <laughs> oh, thankfully, no one ever stole my laptop. Um, no one right. at least, uh, maybe even if it had gotten stolen, it would have been safe, but it did not get in the wrong hands. Right, um, right. Tell me a little bit about your background, Barbara. So we we know that you um, sort of found yourself in this role Inherently, and this is kind of what you've always been good at. But when it comes to let's talk about money, you know, uh, what do, is your financial philosophy, and and how has your work how has your work shaped that, perhaps? So you know, it's very interesting um, because you, you sent out a very thorough and very organized packet to me several weeks ago, <laughs> and it made me really think about some of these things. And I do remember my parents were divorced when I was young. And my mother had gone from really being taken care of by her father, and she had worked as a teacher for a few years, but really then was taken care of by my father. And he was, um, you know, he was a, a person who was very traditional and didn't want her to work outside the home. And since she wasn't earning a lot of money, it wasn't a difficult decision that they made. So when they got divorced, she she really had no financial independence. She had no credit cards in her name. Um, and I do remember one day, you know, it's, it's one of the most poignant memories that I have that, you know, from my childhood, of my mother, you know, shortly after the divorce, you know, the, a, a major appliance broke and she was like, oh my God, I can't believe everything's going to start breaking now. But I watched her then pick herself up. You know, she took the series seven exam. She became a broker and she became financially independent and, in hindsight, as we've talked about it as an adult or as adults, you know, she said that if if she hadn't gotten a job, then when we went to college, she would have had to give up her, our house. And she she would have had some very negative things happen to her in terms of her financial health. And the message to me was always be financially independent. 
It doesn't matter, you know, how successful your partner is, but you should always have money of your own. Yes. And has that always, has entrepreneurship always been something that you've um, gravitated towards? Did you ever have a nine to five job? I did. So I worked as a management consultant for many years. And, um, you know, I'm very good at these professions where you get paid to tell people what to do. (laughs) Um, But, but I did, you know, and of course, management consulting is definitely not a nine to five job. It's, you know, a, a, you know, it can be a very um, tough schedule, but I, I worked at um, Pricewaterhouse or now it's called Coopers, I think. And then at the Hay Group and I used to, um, I dealt with a executive compensation and designing incentive plans and performance management for um, employees and designing those plans for large organizations. And I loved it. But the thing that made me the most successful as a consultant was not my creative and original ideas. It was my organizational skills. Yes. It's not something that should be taken for granted. That's definitely, if that is something that is in you, you need to exploit that. Right. Right. And, and it was funny. My first client, um, came to me because somebody, I, I had, um, gone out on my own and I was, you know, working as a management consultant on my own and I had several clients and I got a call from one of my former colleagues who said, Barbara, Somebody called me and they want to pay someone to set up their home office. And I gave them your number. Don't kill me. (laughs) And so I sort of thumfered my way through the first one, learned a lot, told a couple more people that I had done this. And it and one person said to me, you know what? You have twins. I've been in your house. I want you to set up my house like your house. And then she told five people. And before you knew it, it was a full time job for me. And your book, Secrets of an Organized Mom, is dedicated to parents, I'm sure, taking a lot from your own life as you've talked now about having twins. Uh, What are the challenges specific to parents and organization? I think, you know, speaking personally, it's easy to feel overwhelmed because there's an industry telling you you need all this stuff. You really don't. Um, So how do you how do you help parents? So it's funny, um, you know, you talk about, you know, this whole industry of things they tell you you need. There was a a study I recently saw from UCLA. They have the Center for Families and Family Living. And they said that for each child you add to the household, the number of possessions increases by 30% in the preschool years alone. So it's interesting. But um, so how do I help parents? You know, I really come in and I help them purge. And sometimes it's easier to purge things when you have someone standing over you telling you that you really, really don't need it. And, um, and then I find a place in the house for everything and I label it. So that way everybody in the house can be accountable for putting things away. And there's no more decision-making about where things go. And I like to tell people that there's really two pieces to this. There's Developing the infrastructure. So, okay, do you have the right files? Do you have the right bins? Do you have the right hangers? Do you have the right places to put things? But once I've done that, the piece that's almost more critical is the process. So what's the process by which things get to the places that you have for them? So it's funny. Yesterday, I was working with a client on something as, as you know, seemingly simple as mail. And, um, you know, she was saying like, I open the mail, but then it just sits here. And it was really just going through the 
process of saying, okay, so you have these magazines or these periodicals that came in the mail. Let's put these on the bottom of the steps. And when you go upstairs the next time, you're going to walk them up and leave them on your night table because that's where you're going to read them. And these bills are going to also go to the bottom of the steps. And when you walk upstairs, they're going to go into your inbox and they're going to get paid every Sunday. So it's, it's really a matter of figuring out the process also. And, you know, there's lots of common sense things that aren't common sense to people who don't spend any time thinking about it, which is, you know, if you apply sunblock in the kitchen as you're walking out the door, it's not going to help you to have the sunblock in the bathroom somewhere else. I think you could be so helpful with couples, too, because in, in any relationship, nobody wants to hear from their significant other that they're a pat rack, um, a rat, sorry, a rat pack. So what's the word? Pack rat. A pack rat. <laughs> I just said it three different ways. Pack rat. My mother uh, has somehow managed to not kill my dad over all these years. I mean, he literally ha- keeps boxes for electronics he bought 15 years ago. He'll keep cords for things that I don't even know where they connect to. Um, and they are thinking of downsizing and it's really worrisome. And, and she's anticipating fighting because he just won't understand why some things need to go. And so having a third party come in like you to kind of speak, the, be the voice of reason, uh, an objective voice, I think could save some marriages along the way too. Do you ever think of yourself as a marriage therapist? Because I think that's what you are too. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a big part of what I play. And in fact, I was working on, um, I was working with a family that they had moved to a townhouse in Brooklyn and we actually designated an area and we called it the marriage saver area because her husband is a piler. And so we, we actually, in designing the kitchen, we designed a place where, you know, we actually put an outlet inside this cabinet and it is designed for him to pile his stuff in so she doesn't see it. Brilliant. Um, we, we had mentioned earlier that you also have some advice around digital clutter and how we can streamline emails and files on our computers. How do we, how do we begin to attack this big part of our lives? So years ago, I used to talk to people about, you know, touching each piece of paper once and, you know, making a decision and doing something. And I really tell people to do the same thing with email. And there's a lot of data about multitasking and, and, you know, it's all very negative, but that would be a whole, you know, separate podcast that we could do on that. But with, with your emails, you have to have a digital filing system that makes sense. So you, you have to go through the process of moving things to those digital files. Also, when you open an email, you should not think about it, close it, open it up again, think about it. You open the email, you respond and file, respond, delete, or if you really have to, print it out and put it in a paper file. And, you know, there's other things you can do as well. You can, um, I always tell people it's, it's a simple behavioral change, but if you change the subject lines of your emails, you will save yourself a myriad of time and energy because what happens is you start an email chain talking about the podcast Thursday at 11 o'clock and you end up talking about, you know, dinner for, you know, four people a month out and 16 things in between. And you'll never find the emails related to those 16 things, which may be important if you don't change the subject line. If the subject line still says podcast 11 o'clock Thursday. Right. right. You know, one one thing I did recently to help to, I was was actually running out of space. Literally, Gmail was like, you're about to get booted if you don't uh, clear some emails out. I went and I searched by keyword, things like 
Pottery Barn, West Elm, um, American. Oh, you've got to unsubscribe from all of that. Well, I do unsubscribe, but they filter and a lot. Well, I should say, um, I don't, I've unsubscribed for as many of these places as I think, think of, but it's just that, you know, sometimes I resubscribe because I go back on the site and I'm like reordering. So they get my email and just the cycle continues. But the more popular retailers and financial services companies that I work with, Chase, after I've like made sure these emails aren't too important, I just search for them by keyword and then I can filter it that way and then just delete everything at once. And I can in one click delete hundreds of emails uh, categorically. And, you know, it took a while. It was like kind of one thing you do while you're watching Netflix. <laughs> like, right. Trying right. to multitask because it could take a while. But it's a great um, way of doing it. Yeah. You know, another thing, and I, I wish I remembered the name of the gentleman who, um, who first coined this term. Um, but he talks about um, email, uh, declaring email bankruptcy. So then in the same way you declare bankruptcy when you can't manage your financial obligations, you can declare email bankruptcy when you can no longer manage your email obligations. <laughs> and basically you just start at a certain date. You can take them all. If you don't want to delete them, put them in a file saying, you know, email from this date to, and start fresh. Hmm. That's you know, just start over, you know, and, and believe me, if anything's truly important, the person will email you again. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about financial failure, Barbara. Have you ever had a cataclysmic event with your money? <laughs> I have to say that I, I've been lucky not to have had one yet. So that doesn't mean I won't have one, but I can't really, um, I haven't had that happen to me knock on whatever's, I don't have wood close to me. I'll knock on my computer, but, but not yet. Good. Um, no hard lessons learned, even just like, oops, didn't know that. And that, you know, cost me a few bucks or something that you kind of, um, learned about recently that's helped you to save more. Well, I will tell you one thing that happened to me. I was, um, so my twins are going to be 17 in January. So four years ago, I was planning their B'nai Mitzvah in the process of finishing up my book, working full time, you know, there was a lot going on at once. And I was um, redecorating my son's room to give him a more teenage room. And my son cared about nothing but the softness of the carpet. So they had given me a price for the carpet, which I thought was outrageous. But I was like, you know, he's such a good kid. And he really doesn't ask for anything. Um, I'm going to do this. Well, when the carpet was installed, it turned out that the amount that I thought was crazy was the deposit. <laughs> And oh. it was my own fault because I had, you know, it, it was something that fell through the cracks and I'm not used to that happening to me. But I will say there is a God because a couple weeks later we were, as part of that whole redecoration, we were changing the, the carpet on, a, on the landing of the steps and they were cutting it in his room on his new carpet because there was no furniture in the room. And they cut through the carpet, the brand new, very expensive carpet. Ooh. And they called me and they said they were going to replace it. At, you know, they could replace it at no additional charge. They could do this. I was like, how about this? You give me 50% off and we'll call it a day because where they cut was going to be under where his bed was. And so, Brilliant. so I, was able, I was able to Good negotiating. But, but it was one of those things where like literally my heart sunk and I just felt so disgusting because it was so much more money than I – ever in my wildest, you know, I thought that the, the, you know, the deposit was a ridiculous amount of money. And, um, but the carpet is very soft. 
Well, that's good. I'm glad your son's happy with the carpet. That's so cute that he didn't want anything but like soft carpeting, which is important. I'm redoing my son's room right now. And when you're buying things online, it's, you know, I don't have time to go in stores and touch everything. So I'm working with someone who's more experienced and knows what materials actually feel like and can say, okay, this is a, this is going to be kind of a, a rougher rug or a thin rug, you know, so it's good to, but have somebody who things. knows. Yeah. Especially if you're going to be sitting on the rug a lot, you don't want it to be comfortable. And But I'm glad you got that 50% off deal. That's a, that's a, that was a brilliant negotiation, Barbara. Thank you. <laughs> What's a financial habit that you have that helps you kind of streamline your finances? So for my business, I use QuickBooks and I am very rigid in many areas of my life. And I think that being rigid is, you know, not a great thing, but it's a very positive thing when you're an organizer. But I'm you know, very routinized. I come home and I immediately put into QuickBooks, you know, I create the invoice for the client that I'll send out at the end of the month. And I religiously will plug in the information with a description of what I did in the number of hours. And, you know, I like to periodically, you know, every week or so, I look at my accounts receivable reports. I look at, you know, how much I've made for the year. Like I really, I stay on top of it because it's interesting and important to me. Someone once told me that they like to keep their house messy because it it illustrates just how full and busy and boisterous their life is. What do you think about that philosophy? Well, you know, people, it, it's sort of become a badge of honor in our society to say, like when somebody says, how are you? Oh, I'm really busy. Oh, you're a hot um, mess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm and, really busy. And I, yeah. and I think that the chaos can be very stressful on a family. And, you know, if you think about... You know, if you're starting your day as an adult and, you know, you realize that you have an important meeting, the shirt you were going to wear had a stain on it. So now you're running late because you're trying to find a different shirt that matches something else. But then that skirts at the cleaner. And then you're proofreading the document you're going to present while you're on the subway going to the meeting and you realize there's a mistake versus if you picked out your clothes the night before you read your report the night before you had it in your briefcase ready to go, you had breakfast set up on the table because what happens to a lot of people is they can somehow manage that. But then there's the wild card. Like you get a call from your child's school that your child's front tooth got knocked out in a dodgeball game or something like that. And then it's chaos. And and I think that those people, they might squeak through by the skin of their teeth and they might have some good stories to tell about it. But in the end, it's not a healthy way to live. And it's not you know, and I also, I, I do a lot of lecturing on organizing for academic success and I work with children and families on this. And, um, it's not the kids that are the smartest that are the most successful in high school because there's simply not enough hours in the day. It's the kids that are the most organized. Mm-hmm. I and agree so, with that. Yeah. You know, and as, as a parent, like you have to set the example. It's a, it's such an important skill to, uh, to, you know, enforce as a, for, to your children, you know, even just like, I remember growing up, we always had to make our bed. We always had to put the dishes away. We always had responsibilities and there was a routine to being in the home. You know, we, there were expectations and there were things that we had to get done before we go to bed. And that I think spilled over into how we kept our homework in shape and our, you know, our school issues. And then of course, in our personal relationships. So I think it can start at home and it can start young. And, um, certainly there are going to be kids that 
will be will rise to the occasion. Others will have to nudge more along the way. But I think it's 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 not just a matter of like you said, keeping things organized and clean for the sake of being organized and clean. Like these are life lessons, and I think when you flex these muscles, it can mean happiness and clarity in so much, so many other aspects of your lives, your finances, your relationships, your relationship with yourself. So I think you're doing really big, important work, Barbara. And maybe it starts with telling someone where to put their heirlooms, but really you're you're helping them out in their lives in big ways. Thank you. Yeah, I, I hope that I do that. And the feedback that I get suggests that it does make a very big difference for people. Okay, Barbara, let's do some so many fill in the blanks where I start a sentence and then you finish it. First thing that comes to mind, maybe I'll throw in an organization, Mad Lib. Um, when I... Uh, if I won the lottery, the first thing I would do is I would hire a driver. <laughs> yeah, especially in New York City. Who wants to drive? Yeah, exactly. One, one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is someone who cooks. Yeah. Yeah. In 22 years of marriage, my husband will tell you I've cooked less than 10 meals. <laughs> and if you keep the bar low, no one will expect it from you. Nope. And why should you have to cook these days? I mean, I've actually started to use services like uh, HelloFresh and Plated that they bring you the ingredients and then with the recipes, and then you just spend like 20 minutes putting it together. And I actually like that as I'm nesting right now with my second right. child. Um, right. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, there's, there's so many ways to not have to do that and I'm not good at it and I don't enjoy it. So, so I there you go. There you go. Moving on. Uh, right. One thing I splurge on that I can't do without is clothing. Really? What's your, uh, like on work clothes? Like what's your athleisure? What's your style? I don't do athleisure. Um, but I do, you know, I buy, I buy, I don't buy a lot, but I buy good things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I would rather have, you know, expensive classic clothing that I can wear for years than have lots of, random things. And it's funny, my daughter who is turning 17, she had an internship this summer and she went out afterwards and she bought herself a pair of Chanel ballet flats. And there was a part of me that was a little horrified, but there was another part of me that said, you know what? She saw how hard she had to work to get those. And I would rather that she bought something that's classic that won't go out of style than spend it on a lot of junk. Exactly. I have a pair of black Chanel flats that I got last year. I've I've worn them almost every day and um, I'm not wearing them right now because my feet are swollen. <laughs> Aww. When are you and I don't do? want to ruin them. When do you do? I'm due in March, early okay. March. So yeah, you're getting into the home stretch. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm wearing compression socks, anything I can do Aww. to help with the expansion. <laughs> um, but I have in the process of owning this one pair of expensive shoes, gotten rid of so many other you know, $30, $40 flats that, um, you know, obviously la- are worth their, um, worth 30 bucks and they don't last right. very long and, um, and they go with everything. And it's just, when I put them on, I feel like I'm dressed up even though I'm just maybe wearing jeans. So I'm a big fan of that. And I do remember how much I paid. So I'm taking very good care of them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You do. Like I've visited things a couple times before I've bought them. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I went in the store. I tried them on. I like, you know, I, I asked people who own them. I, I did research. I was, this is not right. a, you know, because it's also, it's like not a bag where you can place on a surface. Like these are your shoes, which you could 
in New York, you know, it's like a, like tires, you know, on a car. Like you just have to anticipate a lot of wear and tear. So I, I'm very careful about that. I don't want to like buy something expensive and then um, get have it get chewed up in the streets. So right, I exactly. We could do a whole show on Chanel flats. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, yes. Okay, answer this for me, and I don't ask guests this, but because you're the organization queen, the one area of my life that I'm not that organized in, admittedly, is mm-hmm. an area of my life that I'm not that organized. There has in. to be something, and it could I mean, be I relevant. Tell, I've I mean, told you that my Achilles heel is really like the cooking. Um, hmm. But I'm a big fan of putting things on autopilot, you know. So we have, you know, monthly menus, you know, that so it just keeps recirculating. Um, what am I not organized about? Oh, I'll tell you something in my house that's not organized. You know, I've sort of given up my daughter. You know, I I'm so not interested in makeup, and um, it's just not my thing. And my daughter has her, her bathroom drawers. I just don't open them anymore because they're so <laughs> over. And actually, here's a good one. I And this is more appropriate for your podcast. I'm going to say like three or four years ago, I delegated all of the you know financial statements, everything to my husband. And there were certain things that I had in binders and you know it was all very beautiful. And then once I got the annual statement, all the monthly statements went away. And about a year or so after I had delegated that to him, I opened up the cabinet and I almost fell on the floor because it was just piles of paper. And I, I, I couldn't speak. And he said, look, he goes, I have a system. I go, no, you have no system. Your system is no system. I said, what is this? And over the summer, I fixed it. But um, yeah, it was tragic. Tragic. Well, that's why, you know, you can only do so much. You should hire some help and outsource the things that you don't have a system for, don't care to create a system around, someone else can do it for you and save you time and hassle and some fights along the way. Exactly. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is? So money doesn't make you happy, but it can definitely give you peace of mind. That is true. And also maybe things don't buy you happiness, but experiences do. And that's something that you know we can all keep in mind as we head into the new year and look at ways to make our money go the extra mile and make us feel good. Barbara, thank you so much for this advice. It's so timely too. I know a lot of us are looking to get our finances and our lives streamlined and in better shape and organized. So we really appreciate you and your time and everybody check out your book um, for moms. And the book is called uh, Secrets of an Organized Mom and your website is resourcefulconsultants.com. Barbara, happy new year. Thank you. And thanks for having me today. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Barbara, her website is resourcefulconsultants.com. She's also on Twitter at Barbara Reich and Reich is spelled R-E-I-C-H. Don't worry. All this information is at somoneypodcast.com. You can download the transcript, listen to the audio, leave a comment, and also leave us a message for So Money's Friday episodes, Ask Farnoosh. You can leave us a voicemail. You can leave us a message. Whatever form of communication you prefer, we will take that into consideration for an upcoming Ask Farnoosh and get your question in the queue. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money. So money.